following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. We are, uh, we finished Matthew, and we are embarking on a short kind of mini-series on, uh, we're calling, Why Church? Why Church? Why do we do church? Uh, why do we show up on Sunday mornings and do this thing called church? Uh, what's its purpose and, and what is our specific part? And uh, one of the reasons we're doing this, we try to do this every year or so, uh, just to help explain kind of who we are as CCF. Uh, but it's also true that uh, as I've lived here now 19 plus years, uh, there's nothing that's been more confusing for people than answering this question. Uh, why church, right? Uh, a lot of people come here to do ministry and serve in Thailand. Um, and, and I've heard this just over and over again. I just don't quite know what to do with church, right? how I engage with it. So it's good to uh, remind ourselves once in a while what the scripture teaches and tells us about uh, the church and our place in it. Um, and it's interesting, we, you know, we live in an age and a time uh, that is extremely consumer-driven. Right? And by that I mean uh, the whole world uh, lives on marketing and uh the world economy is driven by it, and really the whole world functions. The whole global, global thing happens on this idea of consumerism. And what that means is, you don't know it, but you need lots of stuff, right? You need just the right toothpaste. <laughs> you need just the right makeup. You need just the right perfume. You need just the right clothes. And you can't be a happy person unless you're brushing your teeth with the right toothpaste, right? So let's see how many happy people are out there. Did you use the right toothpaste, right? Well, uh, that's consumerism. Uh, and, and unfortunately, it's, it's affected the church a lot. Uh, and, and we live in a church that's been very impacted by this consumer mentality. And, and so uh, churches have really been pressured to uh, providing services to customers. right? So it's not about us as the body of Christ, it's about churches who are kind of businesses providing services that they market to customers. And, and you sitting out there are the customer, and, and churches are trying to um, satisfy you with what you want, what you think you need. Right? Uh, giving, it's all about giving people what they want. And of course in the world there's lots of options, so if People don't get what they want in this church, they'll go to the next one until they find a church that gives them what they want. Um, and, and so churches have become all about coffee bars, and I'm all for coffee, don't get me wrong, you know, but uh, uh, like I know a church in, 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 in my home country that spent a million dollars redoing their lobby so they could have a better coffee bar, right? And that's kind of what drives churches these days. Uh, it's all about elaborate stages and stage productions and professional, and I would also say loud, worship bands um, that put on a concert and a show and a themed children's programs, right? I mean, there's churches that actually have Disney-themed Sunday school. Like, how's that for an oxymoron or a, a, a paradox or something, right? And it's all designed to give the consumer uh, the experience they're looking for. Well, is, is that 
God's vision for the church, right? Is that what God had in mind when God uh, called out the church? Was he thinking, you know, lattes from the primo espresso machine, right, at the coffee bar at church? Is that really what he's... And if it's not that, then, then what should it be? What should our experience be? Is it wrong to want an experience at church, right? Is it just supposed to be boring, right? Or are we supposed to experience something, and if so, what? And is that why we go? What motivates us? What gets us out of bed on Sunday morning and, and makes us go through? The, and if you have a family, you know, there's a certain battle that has to happen. A lot of wars that have to be won to get everybody in that car and get headed out the door and end up at church without, you know, bloodshed somewhere along the way. Uh, so, so, so that's what we want to talk about over these next few weeks. What is the church? Uh, why do we do church and what's God's heart for it? And to answer that question this morning, we want to look at two things. First, what exactly is the real church? When we say church, what do we mean by that word? And then secondly, we want to look at uh, what is God's purpose, or we'll start looking anyway at at God's purpose for the church. So let's start with that first question, because this is an important one. What do we mean by the word church? What is the church? What is the real church? Well, um, the the classic theological, and I would say... Uh, accurate, um, although not complete answer to that question, is the church is basically its membership, right? The people who make up the church. So we know the church is not the building, and we call, we call, we might call the building the church, but we know, we all know that that's not the church, that the church is not the building or the programs per se, but it really is the people, right? The church is the body of Christ. Um, and, and theologians call this, uh, 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 that the church is, is made up of all God's people everywhere through all time. Okay, so the church, the church is, in one sense, all of God's people, all the people God has saved throughout all of history from beginning to end, right, in every place. And theologians call this the universal church. And so uh, the church is not just our little gathering, but it's, it's really, we're part of something much bigger, this universal church. Uh, and because it's universal, it's also called invisible. Uh, and what, what theologians mean by that is we don't really know who, who makes up the, tr- the true church, right? So the church is the true people of God, but when we get saved, we're not, we're not stamped with a, you know, a sign on our head, right? We don't know that. And so in this room, thankfully you're all here, and we assume you're all true believers, but we don't know that. And um, we can be out in the world and we can feel like we're surrounded by unchristians and unbelievers, but actually anywhere we go, there could be standing right in front of us at the cash register another fellow believer who's part of the body of Christ, but we don't know that. Right, unless they're wearing I Love Jesus t-shirt or something. And even in Thailand, you don't know, like, do they really know what that means? Uh, right? Uh, like I was at a church, side story, I was at a church, a pastor's conference one time teaching a bunch of Thai pastors, and this sweet lady uh, was there, and she had this great t-shirt that says, how do you spell relief? And it had a big marijuana leaf on it. Clearly had no idea what the t-shirt meant. Right, so, uh, so that's the invisible church. We don't know, right? We don't know. Um, um, so... Um, so oftentimes, though, our definition of church ends there. And a lot of people, like, they would say, well, the church is the people of God 
everywhere, at all places, Rob, all the time. That's the church. But actually, that, that's a very inadequate definition. It's a good start, and it's true as far as it goes, but it's a very incomplete statement, right? Because actually the church is more than just its membership, right? Just like a sports team is more than just its players, or an orchestra is more than just the musicians. For example, Thailand is certainly made up of Thai people who are her citizens. But any given Thai person can't, cannot say, I am Thailand. Right? That would just be weird, right? Or your home country. I am that country. Well, no, actually you're not, right? You're a citizen. You're a member. But uh, the country or the, the sports team or the orchestra is much more than the individual Right, so um, so let's take the, the the London Philharmonic Orchestra. Uh, if you like or, uh, classical music, they are one of the best in the world. Made up some of the best musicians in the world. Um, but but uh, but it w- would it really be the London Philharmonic Orchestra if all of the musicians showed up without their instruments, and in fact showed up and started playing soccer? Like that would be a sight to see. Right, I can just see these flutists out there kicking that soccer ball? Like, are they really being the London Philharmonic Orchestra if they're not orchestrating something, right? Not playing music, right? Or what about, uh, what about say, a sports team like the Los Angeles Lakers basketball team? Uh, one of their star players, LeBron James, great basketball player. Um, let's say, and, and I, I looked this up, LeBron James actually likes to watch American football, right? So, if LeBron James is at his house watching American football, um, uh, can he really say that he's being a Laker? Well, in one sense, yes, right? He's still an L.A. Laker. He's still a basketball player. Uh, but if he had all of his friends join him in his living room and there are a group of guys who are there watching football, are they really being a basketball team? Well, at that minute, not really, right? And, and so... So it's not, enough to, it's not enough for us just to be God's people, God's children. That, that, that if we stop there, we have a very inadequate definition. And, and as we talk about basketball teams and orchestras, we see that um, we, we need to talk about how or why these people are related or connected to each other. Right? It's not just that they exist, but they exist together for some common goal or purpose or reason. So like a basketball team or an orchestra, it is this specific reason that they gather as a group of people that defines them. Right? So you, can't have a, you cannot have a definition of the church that does not talk about your reason for, for being a people together. Uh, and, and that highlights another important point. The church is not just a bunch of individual believers scattered all over who are God's people. Right? Um, an important part of the, uh, the, the, the very definition church uh, is seen in the meaning of the word church. So we go to the Greek, we get out our little Greek lexicon, and the Greek word for church is what? All you Greek scholars, ekklesia, right? Ekklesia. And ekklesia is an interesting Greek word um, that can mean several things, but uh, as it's used in the New Testament, it primarily means a gathering or an assembly. Right? So, so church, by its very word, is a, a gathering. Right? So yeah, the church is universal. It's everywhere 
everywhere, all over the place. But it really starts to, to be the church only when it's gathered. When you come together, so this morning we came together, so we're really being the church, right? If you're off out in the mountains all by yourself, uh, you are not the church at that moment. Now, yes, you're a member, right? But just like LeBron watching football on his couch at home, he's not really being a basketball player at that moment, right? He fulfills his purpose as part of the L.A. Lakers team when he shows up with the ball on the basketball court, when he makes it to the game, um, so the church, uh, so we could add, we could add to our definition a little bit. The church is the people of God gathered together. Right? It is the people of God gathered, assembled. And this isn't just an, a New Testament idea. It really comes out of the Old Testament. And in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, this word ekklesia is used often to speak of the Israelites assembled together. Uh, So theologian Wayne Grudem says this, he says, this process whereby Christ builds the church is just a continuation of the pattern established by God in the Old Testament, whereby he called people to himself to be a worshiping assembly before him. A worshiping assembly before him. There are several indications in the Old Testament that God thought of his people as a church a people assembled for the purpose of worshiping God. And one of those examples is Deuteronomy 4.10. Uh, And we read, it says, How on the day that you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb, the Lord said to me, Gather, gather, there's that word, ecclesia, gather the people to me that I may let them hear my word so that they may learn to fear me all the days they live on earth and so they may teach their children. Uh, and in fact, even in the New Testament, New Testament uh, writers and speakers speak of the Old Testament as a church. Uh, now, and I won't go into all the theological reasons for this. It has a lot to do with the failed uh, theology of dispensationalism. If you're in dispensationalist, I'm sorry, but uh, you're off. Uh, uh, but that, that theology has had influence even in the translation of Scripture. And so uh, it's oftentimes lost. But Acts 7.38, this Stephen is, is giving his last defense before he's stoned by the Jews. And he says, this is the one, speaking of Jesus, this is the one who was in the congregation, literally the church, in the wilderness, with the angel who spoke to him at Mount Sinai and with our fathers. He received the living oracles to give to us. I'm sorry, speaking of Moses, right? Uh, who was in the congregation, in the church, right? In the Old Testament. Hebrews 2.12, similar, says... I will tell of your name to my brothers, quoting the Old Testament, in the midst of your congregation, the church, I will sing your praise. Right? So in this sense, we could say that um, our, our definition could go like this, uh, that, that the visible church, right, the, the church that we see, the, the local church, is the group of people who come together each week to worship as a church and profess faith in Christ. Right? Uh, so it's important to see that this gathering is a crucial part of what it means to be the church. Um, so just like an orchestra or a basketball team really fulfills its ultimate purpose when it's gathered for the purpose that they, that they, that they form themselves, um, so is the church. Uh, and I've just seen so many have uh, an inadequate understanding of the church because they stop with this idea of the universal church. 
Right? They say, well, if the church is God's people everywhere at all times, and I'm one of God's people, then, then, then that's the end of it. Everywhere I go, I'm just the church. And so if I'm at Starbucks having coffee with my buddy, well, that's the church, right? Well, uh, there's a sense in which that is true, right? But, but that falls far short of what God envisioned for the church, God's calling and God's purpose for the church. Um, uh, why do we need to go to church, right? Uh, can't we just all fellowship here and there, little pockets, hang out, have coffee, right? Well, no, we, we do need to meet together on the church, right? And again, going back to our basketball uh, analogy, suppose LeBron James says, hey, I'm an L.A. Laker, I'm a basketball player wherever I go. When I go to Starbucks, I'm a basketball player. And when I have coffee with my other L.A. Laker friends, we are a basketball team, right? Drinking coffee, right? Why do I ever need to go to the basketball court and show up and play, play, play the game, right? Well, that's just silly. Well, that's basically what people say when, well, I'm the church, but I don't ever have to go to the meeting. I don't ever have to show up for the game. It's ridiculous, right? It's just ridiculous. And yet, I've heard that so many times, right? Uh, so, so the church is a people gathered for a specific purpose. So then we need to look next at, uh, to complete our definition is what is that purpose, right? Um, can we say anytime believers are gathered, they are functioning as a church? So some of you may work at a Christian school or you may be part of a Christian ministry or a Christian organization. When you all get together to do school, are you being the church? Well, certainly at one level you could say that because it is the universal church. It's, it's believers gathered together. Uh, but are you fulfilling the true function and mission of the church by uh, having school? Well, certainly this is an important ministry. It's not, it's not to say this isn't Christian ministry. It is, right? But is it the function of the church? Well, um, uh, not to overuse LeBron James, right? But if he's not playing basketball, right? If he's, if he's, if he's showing up at the London, London Philharmonic with his violin, right? Is he being a Laker? Well, maybe not, right? Um, and, and so, so the purpose matters. So, what is the what is the pump purpose of the church? We could talk about it in terms of its function, and then in terms of its purpose. In terms of its function, uh, the Augsburger Confession, uh, written in 1530 by by Luther, uh, kind of spells it out this way: the church. He he defines or the the confession. In the confession, uh, defines the church as the congregation of saints, in which the gospel is rightly taught and the sacraments rightly administered. Okay, in which the gospel is taught and the sacraments are administered. Sacraments is a big fancy word that means things like communion, baptism, uh, prayer, or certain practices of the church. Right. Calvin uh, said a similar thing. He said, wherever we see the word of God purely preached and heard, okay, so for Calvin it wasn't enough that the preacher was talking. The people actually had to be listening. (laughs) Important distinction, I think, right? They couldn't just be asleep, right? So the, 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 the word is preached and heard and the sacraments administered according to Christ's institutions, there, it is not to be doubted, a church of God exists. Right? 
So, so basically the church can be determined, uh, defined further as a people of God assembled together who are fulfilling certain functions or roles of the church. Right? The preaching of the word, the listening to the word, and the participation in the sacraments. Um, and when we see this, uh, this comes from scripture, right? Acts 2.42 says this. Uh, the, the church on its first day of its birth, right? Uh, Peter gets up, preaches this amazing sermon. 3,000 people get saved. They are baptized, which is a sacrament. And it says, and then they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship with each other, to the breaking of bread, which uh, refers to the Lord's Supper, and to uh, the saying of prayers, right? right? They were the church because they were meeting fulfilling these key functions of the church. Um, so, so these are the activities. So any, any group or organization that meets as a group of Christians who are fulfilling these functions, we would call that a church. Now, is a, is a school, a Christian school, a church? Well, uh, is a Christian school baptizing people? Probably not, right? Are they, are they offering the Lord's Supper regularly? Well, maybe not, right? Um, so, so they're not really functioning like a church. Now, if they start doing those things, so a home Bible study starts doing those things, right? Uh, they, they are functioning. They are a church, right? They don't need to have a denomination or a label or a covering. If they're preaching the word and they are uh, carrying out the, the sacraments together, they are functioning as a church, right? Um, so, so these are the activities, but an important question still remains, why do we do these activities, and that relates more to the driving purpose of the church. Why do we preach the word? Uh, do we preach the word just because, well, that's what my, my father did, and that's what my grandfather did, and that's what his father did, so we just do it because they did it, right? Or do we actually know why we do it? Do we have some reason for preaching the word? Do we have some reason for celebrating the Lord's Supper? Or for singing praise and worship songs? Um, well, that brings us really to the realm of the purpose of the church. Uh, and we're not going to look at all the purpose of the church today. We're going to look at one. And, but there are primarily three. Uh, and, you know, the, this list is not uh, inspired per se. Uh, some may have a list of four. There could be more or less. But in general, uh, at CCF, we, we've, we've named three things that we consider to be the core purpose of why we gather. Uh, and, and, and they are, as we say often, love God, love people, build this kingdom. Have you ever heard that? Hopefully. <laughs> it's kind of our thing. We love God, love people, build his kingdom. Uh, we gather to, to, with as, a, as a goal to be doing these three things. Um, so we love God. We, we, uh, uh, and our, our statement says, our, our kind of mission statement says, we have been created to glorify God and enjoy him forever. At CCF, we believe we accomplish this purpose as we love God by joyfully celebrating the majesty of God and the glorious gospel of Christ. Right? And we talk about loving people. And uh, loving people is uh, helping them discover a life of joy uh, together. Right? And we talk about building his kingdom corporately, building his kingdom by equipping every believer for effective ministry in their home, the church, and the world. Right now, uh, we we realized there was one problem with our slogan: "Love God, love people, and build His kingdom." 
And that was that these three things are great, but there are things that we could all do individually. And we should be, right? We should individually be loving God. I should, as a person, be loving my neighbor. I should be uh, personally involved in the ministry of building God's kingdom, extending the kingdom, right? Uh, so we thought, well, how do, how do, what does it mean to do that as the gathered people? What does it mean to do that corporately or as the body of Christ, as a local fellowship of believers? Uh, so we, we added some words, all calm words, right? Calm, and calm is a, a Latin or Greek root that has the idea of doing something together or with. So, so he said, loving God is ultimately the function when we gather together corporately of communion together with God. And we're going to talk about that more today. Uh, next week we're going to talk about um, loving people through community, right? That I don't just love people as a solo effort, but I do it in community as, as a collaborative effort with others. And then finally, uh, build his kingdom, we do corporately through commission. Or I would say co-mission. Right? We're doing mission, ministry together as part of the body of Christ. So we're going to look at those next week. But today we want to uh, look a little more, dig in a little more deeply into how do we love God corporately through communion with God? What does that really mean? To, to, to worship God, to glorify God, to love God corporately uh, together through communion with God. Well, essentially this means uh, two things. Uh, and the two things together, we hope, leads to a third thing. Okay, so the first thing is this. It means proclamation. We saw all that already. One of the, one of the functions of the church is to proclaim the word of God. Interestingly enough, this morning I'm not actually doing that very well, right? Um, and took a break. Normally, though, we do. We proclaim the Word of God. We take a book of the Bible, and we go through it, and, and we really proclaim the Word. We expound what's in Scripture, right? And we're going to get to some Scripture. We're certainly touching on Scripture this morning. Um, I just didn't know how else to do this without it taking forever. Um, so, but, but we really have this focus where we proclaim the Word, and God has revealed himself primarily through scriptures, through his word. And it's an amazing gift that God has made known to us something of who he is through his word. Right? In these pages, it, it, it opens up to us a vision of who God is and what he is like. Uh, his, his greatest revelation is actually in Jesus. Uh, but even Jesus is revealed to us through the pages of scripture. Right? So when we talk about proclamation, what we're saying is we are, we are opening up, we are trying to see how, what God has revealed to us about himself, his character, his nature, what he is like. Right? Um, and it's important to see that, and I would say that in the modern world, I don't know of too many churches that don't at least talk about preaching the Bible, right? Like there are some, I have been in them, where they didn't even open the Bible, they didn't even read a verse, right? Uh, there are those. But most churches would claim to, to, to preach the word, um, but I would say that uh, another distinction is that we preach the word uh, in a way that is God-focused, right? In a way that is showing us and uncovering for us something about who God is. And the sad reality is that in the modern church, in the modern age, because we are so consumer-driven, a lot of church is really very me-driven, right? And a lot of the 
preaching is, you know, ten steps to having a better business, ten steps to being more successful in this, five steps to a better marriage, right? It's all about how I can, I can get some little tidbits of wisdom to make my life go better. And yeah, they're preaching the word, but they're not preaching the word in order to uncover, to, to pull back the curtain, as it were, to see the glory and wonder and majesty of God. So when we talk about proclamation, we're talking about proclaiming the word in a way that reveals something of God's character and nature. Uh, speaking of this kind of consumer-driven teaching of the word, Paul warns Timothy in 2 Timothy 4.3 with these words. He says, For the time is coming, and I would say is here, <laughs> When people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, right? Their own interests, their own, you know, what's gonna, what, what I want, right? We have a word for that today. It's called being relevant, right? Like if churches aren't relevant, if preaching's not relevant, I'm going to a different church, right? I dare you to show me one verse in Scripture where it says preaching is supposed to be relevant, meaning it's all supposed to be about you, right? You show me that verse. I would love to see it, right? Paul says they've been, with itching ears, tickling ears, they've accumulated teachers to suit their own passions because they cannot endure sound teaching. That is, proclamation of the word that's focused on the character and being of God. Uh, that is why we gather, right? To hear the proclamation of God's word in a way that helps us see a vision of who he is, what he is like. Um, to pull back that curtain, as I said, and get, get a glimpse of God in all his glory and splendor and majesty. Right? His infinite love, his, the, the perfection of his beauty, the wonder of his holiness, right? Uh, if we go to church and we are not somehow being confronted with the image and glory and wonder of God, we are failing in our purpose as a church. Right? Um, and, and, and so, as I said, and that, that, that revelation is seen most supremely in Christ. So it's not just that we're preaching about God and this vague thing, but we, we, we really want to focus in on Jesus as the ultimate revelation of God. So, so Paul says in Colossians one twenty seven through 29, he says, To them, that is to, to, to the Gentiles, God has chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. And Paul says, For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Him we proclaim. Christ we proclaim. Uh, I was in a church once. Uh, somebody invited us. We were back in the States, and uh, it was this new church plant, and they were all excited about it. I said, Can you come with us to our church? I said, Yeah, sure, I love it. And I'm telling you, I sat through this whole church service, and in this whole hour-long church service, uh, Jesus was I mentioned once. Not he wasn't named in one song. He wasn't named in the preaching. He he wasn't. 
it was it was an, it was kind of an afterward at the end of some prayer, right? Jesus, that was it, right? No, no, we proclaim Christ, right? Um, and 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 finally, we we talk about not only what God, who He is, but we talk about what He does, right? His works, uh, His great and mighty works, creating and sustaining and protecting. Uh, and even judging sin and condemning sinners. Uh, but most of all, we, we, we speak of his great saving work in Christ, right? We proclaim Christ, we preach the gospel, right? We preach, we, we preach and we talk about his great saving work through the cross, right? So that's the first part. So when we talk about communion, uh, glorifying God through communion with him, the first piece of that is, clearly and accurately and faithfully proclaiming, preaching the word in a way that points to God and points specifically to God as revealed in Christ and his work on the cross. So CFCF, that's a huge priority for us. And and if you want something more relevant, (laughs) um, sorry, you know, what you're going to get is Jesus and and the cross and, and a vision of God. And, and I'll talk later. I, I believe there is some relevance to this, actually. I think it is relevant, but not in the way it's often meant by the world. Right. Um, and, and, and again, uh, this is all in balance. Okay, we're looking here at, at the first and highest, I believe the highest priority in our purpose is, is, is the glory of God. It's not that God doesn't care about you. Right? And we'll get to that later. Uh, so we proclaim Christ. But, but the second piece of this is that we, we rightly, appropriately respond to that proclamation through the giving of praise and worship. Right? And if this goes well, like, if, we're, if I'm successful or if we're successful in somehow pulling back the curtain and we get this glimpse of God, um, it should blow us away. No, I'm just, I, I, get, I will confess, I get very frustrated that I feel like I do a very bad job pulling back that curtain. Maybe it's a really heavy curtain, or I'm just not very good at it. I wish I could pull it back better and, and display better the glory and wonder of God. But ultimately, that's a work of the Holy Spirit, right? And so we, we rely on the Holy Spirit to be helping us with this process. But, but what, what should happen to us if we do get a vision of God's glory? Like if we get a peek of his face, uh, do we go away going, uh, eh, that wasn't all that great? <laughs> well, I'll tell you what happens in Scripture. Like in Scripture, from, from beginning to end, when God shows up and he reveals himself and people encounter the living God, you know what they do? Mostly they pass out. Right? They fall on their face before God. And they worship him in awe and wonder. And they are blown away by the majesty of God. And they cannot help but responding with praise. Unless they're his enemies. And then they just respond with all that fear and dread. Right? Um, and and that's, how, that's what we want to happen. We gather and we hope that as we, we somehow see some vision of God and his glory in Christ and the cross, that we are moved to worship him in praise. as the right response of beholding his glory and his love for us and his work on our behalf, right? So our passage, I kind of skipped over our passage. We do have a Bible verse for today, a passage. It's in Romans 15, 5 through 7, where it says this. And, he's, and Paul's speaking to the Roman church. He says to the Roman church, 
Uh, May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you all, as the body of Christ, to live in such harmony with one another. He says that coming together in unity and oneness as a people of God, such, such, such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another or accept one another. Uh, Come together as one body, as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Uh, I love it. The first song we sang kind of is a a song singing out these words uh, that we sang this morning, right? That with one voice we would glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Like if you don't think of, if you don't go away with anything else from this morning, I hope you just come away with that. That the one reason we show up for church is to glorify with one voice together to glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, right? If you don't remember anything else, please remember that, right? That's all that matters. Uh, That's why we do church, right? Ultimately to lift up the name of God. Uh, And this worship is not something we just conjure up in ourselves. And like most churches get that worship is important, but what I see often happening is churches or, or worshipers, people, feel like, oh, I'm supposed to worship God, so I've got to like work myself up somehow, right? I've got to get in some kind of worship mode. And really Pentecostal churches do this one way, very liturgical churches do it another, right? Uh, but I think the way it works best is not that we work it up in ourselves, but but that it becomes the natural flow and response of encountering God, right? That's how it happened through Scripture. They just met God, God showed up, he revealed himself through some crazy angel or some crazy dream or some powerful manifestation. And people can't help but worship, right? That's how it should work, right? That's how it should be. It should be a response, a natural response. Uh, And I think what's significant is that that it is corporate, right? It, it, it is not worshiping God by yourself. It's not a private thing. There really is something amazing that happens when we experience this together as a group. And I don't know about you, but that's been one of the most painful things about COVID, is that we can't always do it as a group, right? And, and in the past weeks, you've been doing this home alone, and uh, there's the preaching of the word, there's the proclamation, we're, we're, ex- we're lifting up, and pulling back the curtain to see God. But then when it comes to the response, it's me in my living room. Oh, for a thousand times to sing. Okay, I'm not singing. (laughs) Right? And it's just not the same. It's just not the same. And there's something about the energy of when the body of Christ comes together, and together with one voice, we glorify God. We praise Him together. Right? And there's something amazing that happens when our worship is corporate, when together. And I say the more the merrier, right? Uh, like, and I'm not saying that house churches are bad and that if you, have a, if you can do this in a group of six people, I'm not saying that's wrong or bad. But I'm telling you, there's something powerful when you do it with a bigger group. Uh, I'm old enough to have lived through um, Promise Keepers. Some of you old people remember Promise Keepers. And I remember sitting in a stadium with 80,000 men worshiping God. Oh my goodness, that was like one of the coolest things of my life, right? And it's a great picture of heaven. When we get to heaven, it's not going to be 
you and two other people praising Jesus. It's going to be the multitudes. And it's going to, it's going to rock your socks, right? It is going to be unbelievable. And, and, and so that's why we do this. That's why church, right? Because you just can't do this by yourself. And you can talk about going up on the mountains and sitting in the jungle under a tree and worshiping God. Yeah, and that, it's not that there's not a place for that. But that is not the same as gathering with his people, worshiping God, after you've heard God's word proclaimed and you respond to it joyfully. Right? So, so that's why we gather. And it's some, perhaps one, one of the, the highest and most important reasons. Not the only reason. Okay, it's not just our worship. There's more. Uh, but this is a huge one. But it doesn't end there. So those are the two things that happen. We proclaim God's word. We respond in praise. But the third thing that's, that's uh, kind of the best of all is that as we do this uh, together, we actually are drawn into the very presence of God. Right? We, we in a way that I believe we, we, could, we, we really don't experience on our own, that we do corporately, we come together into God's very presence where we experience sweet communion with him. Right? We draw into his presence, and there is communion with the living God through his spirit, joined together with his people. Um, and, 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 you know, it, it may be emotional, it may not be emotional, right? But it's real, right? It's real. It's really coming into God's presence and, and meeting him, and experiencing him in a way that's profound, right? That is profound. Uh, and it is intended to be a gift that brings joy and, and delight to us. But more importantly, it brings joy and delight to the very heart of God, right? Ultimately, we don't meet for our benefit. Ultimately, one of the reasons we meet is, is, is for God's benefit, joy, and delight, right? Right? Uh, I'm not performing and you're not the audience. We together are performing and God is the audience. Right? We do this for him. And, and the best thing that can happen at the end of the service is not to say, well, wow, I really got a lot out of that. I hope it's true. <laughs> but, but really what we want to have happen is for God to say, wow, I really got something out of that. Like, isn't that cool? The God responds to our worship with delight and joy and say, I love that. I receive that gift with delight, right? First Peter talks about uh, Peter talks about this in First Peter uh, two four through five. As you come to Him, that is, as you come to God, a, a, um, a living as you come to Him, that is Jesus, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious. You yourselves are like living stones being built up as a spiritual house, right, together, to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. In other words, God loves to receive these gifts. It's acceptable. He delights in it. Right? Um, so it is for God, ultimately, but it impacts us as well. Right? We can't draw into God's presence in this way and communion and fellowship with him in deep and intimate connection and not be changed by it. Right? There is a relevance in that. <laughs> right? There is a relevance in meeting God face to face. 
it changes you. Right? It changes you way, in, in ways three steps to a healthier marriage never can. Right? And again, we, we need healthy marriages, right? I'm not saying that's unimportant. But, but what you need most for your marriage is to be standing in the presence of God and being changed by his glory and by his truth. Um, so, so let me let me just give a couple of practical uh, thoughts as we wrap up. Um, summarizing all of this, we can say that, that, that why, why do we do church? Well, we do church to, to glorify God, to honor and worship him, right? to commune with him. And for this to work, it has to have a very vertical focus, meaning upward, right? Vertical means up, not horizontal, sideways, right? Uh, because uh, it is not to be me-focused, but God-focused. And this is counter in every way to consumerism. Right? This, this just doesn't work, because the consumer-driven church is all about me. And so many people are just, that's, that's how they evaluate and think about church. But it can't work that way if we're truly the church. It has to be God-focused. Uh, why church? Because of God. Because he's worthy of worship. Because he's worthy of us gathering in his name to give him glory. Because he is awesome and because he's done such incredible things to save us. Um, so our, our focus needs to be very much Godward as we worship. You know, back in the old days when they built these grand cathedrals, uh, these, a lot of them Catholic, right? Um, if you've ever been in one, you go in, and what's the first thing you do? You look up, right? Because everything in those buildings was designed to, to turn your eyes up to God. And that's a good perspective. As we come into church, our gaze should be turned upward towards God. Uh, and if we don't start here, and again, it's not that God's not concerned about you, it's not that it's not important, and we'll see next week the importance of ministering to the body, that is super important. But if we don't start here by gazing up first, then it easily slips into uh, being all about me. And even things like the preaching of the word and singing of praise songs become about me, about what I get out of it, about, well, I don't like that worship song. Why is it too loud? Why does that worship leader have such a cringy voice? Why is that guitar out of tune? I don't know. Is that right? right? But when it's God-focused... Right? Uh, everything can become a gift lifted up to him. Right? Secondly, um, the church is not the meeting. Right? The church is not, is not just what we do on Sunday morning. It's way more than that. But it is about the meeting. Right? Remember the basketball player. It is about showing up and actually playing basketball. Right? It is about actually showing up at the meeting and exercising the functions and practices of the church. Uh, you can't say you're part of the church just because you're part of it universally, but not connected to a local body of believers where you meet together. Right? It is about the meeting. It is about showing up. Right? And, and honestly, we probably don't meet enough. Like in Acts 2.42, it says they met daily. Daily. And, and, and what's amazing to me is a lot of people think once a week is too much. Like, like, isn't once a month good? Well, I don't know. LeBron James, hey, I'll tell you what. 
I'll show up at the first game of the, of the year, and then I'll come back for the playoffs, because that's where all the action is, right? Uh, no, right? Um, what music could the London Philharmonic Orchestra make if they never met? We cannot fulfill our purpose as a church if we do not meet together. Right? We cannot worship God corporately if we do not gather. Lastly, uh, I know, and I've talked to people, and, and even though at, at CCF we really try to pull this off, we really try to, to focus on God and respond in worship, and yet I'm amazed how many times I talk to people who have been coming to our church for a long time, and they're, they're like, eh, eh. Yeah. Uh, and they'll tell me, some of them are friends enough to tell me, yeah, I think your church is okay. I was like, wow, like, like what are you missing? How do you miss this, right? Because sometimes I'm just moved to tears by your singing, by your worship, right? And I'm like, how can you be so, like, like how do you miss that, right? And maybe you're one of those people. You're like, uh, I have no idea what you're talking about, right? Well, let me, let, let me encourage you with this. Um, we do need to look up. We, we do need to look up. Like if we walk into the room and we never look up and our focus is never turned Godward, we will miss it. We will miss it. I remember many years ago when I was doing backpack trips and taking high school kids out on, uh, in the mountains, um, one of the most amazing experiences I've had in my life, we were on this uh, very high mountain, way above the trees, um, and it was oh, far, far from any, any light. So and it was a moonless night. We're out one night. So high we couldn't even have a campfire, couldn't have firewood. And so it was dark. And we went out on this hillside just to look at the stars with these kids. And we're laying there, had all our sleeping bags because it was cold. And um, looking at the stars. And all of a sudden, from one side of the sky to the other, this meteor just blazes across the sky. I thought it was like the end of the world. I mean, it was bright, like I thought some plane was crashing, and it lit up the whole sky. And the kids were, we were just all stunned. We're like, oh my goodness, what was that? And we're laying there, and a few more minutes, another one comes across the sky. And I didn't know it, but come to find out there was some meteor shower. And they weren't frequent, you know, we had to wait. It was like sometimes five, six, seven minutes. You had to wait almost long enough. It was like, ah, it's over. And then, boom, another one came blazing across the sky. And, uh, and it was so spectacular that every time the kids would just erupt with cheers. It was like a football game. They were just, wow, that was so awesome. They'd cheer and yell and scream, right? It was awesome, right? Well, uh, we, after the week was over and we went home, I, I had several conversations with people, and I said, did you see those meteorites? And they're like, what? What are you talking about? And I couldn't find one person who had seen it. I was starting to think, man, maybe we were made, maybe we made it up, right? But, but it's a sad reality is that we saw it because we were looking up. We were away from the distraction of bright lights, and but everybody else, what were they doing? Well, they were watching TV, right? And they had missed this incredible display because their eyes were not turned upward. And you know, I, I think so many people, times people come into church. And there's this amazing display of God's glory uh, that the Holy Spirit does. Not I do, not, not the worship. It's what the Holy Spirit does. And they miss it because they aren't looking up. Right? 
They're so looking at themselves. They're so distracted by their own problems and their own worries. They're so distracted by what they're going to get out of it and how it's going to be relevant for them. And they walk out of the service and they missed it. They missed it. So the writer of Hebrews, let me close with this passage. The writer of Hebrews writes it this way. In Hebrews 12, 22. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the church of the firstborn, the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. That's, that's God's people. And to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Jumping down to verse 28. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. Let's pray. Lord God, you are uh, a consuming fire. Consuming in judgment, but also consuming the offerings that we bring on the altar. Uh, Lord, you are um, full of majesty and glory. You're a creator of the universe. You are full of wisdom and knowledge beyond uh, what we can even begin to comprehend. You are pure and holy and beautiful beyond the most beautiful thing we have ever seen. And most of all, Lord, you are glorious, majestic, and worthy of worship. And you saved us ultimately to be a people who are worshipers, uh, who, who have the privilege and joy of beholding all that you are, and who have the capacity to understand it and respond in worship. And Lord, that's, that's what, what we are to be as, as the church. Not just as individuals, but, but together. Uh, the people of God. Join together so that together with one voice we may glorify you. And Lord, we pray that you would forgive us where we've, we've missed all that because our, our gaze has been down on this earth and not lifted up to you. Lord, help us and forgive us where sin and the cares of this world and the worries of this life have so consumed us, where consumerism has so distracted us that we fail to behold what you are doing right in our very midst. Lord, forgive us and humble us. And Lord, help us to to turn our eyes upward and there to see the wonder of your glory, which is so much greater than all of our problems, and there to meet you, and ultimately, through worship, to, to fellowship with you, to come into your presence and, and be with you. 
And Lord, we want to do that even now as we worship, as we celebrate the Lord's Supper together. Lord, we want to be very present at the Lord's table with, with, with you, Lord Jesus, meeting with you as your body, as your people. So help us to do that, we pray by your Spirit. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org.